You have to also redefine what success is for you constantly. Yes, money makes life easier, but like don't have your goal be that. Your goal should be whatever you love to do, doing that the best and the reward for that. And just constantly check in and say, what is success to me now? Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and today we're continuing our conversation with fashion designer, Rebecca Minkoff. In this concluding segment of our conversation, Rebecca shares insights on everything from defeating imposter syndrome and handling critical feedback to tuning out what everyone else is doing and defining success on your own terms. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to a written transcript or watch the full conversation on our YouTube channel. So there were two accounts that I saw on social. There's Rebecca Minkoff, blue check, and then there's Becky Minkoff. Yeah. Is that the same? Is this both you? Yeah. So what I decided to do is once the acquisition happened in February, I realized that at, at some point, and I'm very happy, and I plan to stay with the brand a long time, but at some point there might be well things- said. <laughs> it's true. I'm not being paid to say I, that. I, I, look at that. <laughs> there are going to be things that I want to talk about that might not be brand relevant or right, you know? And yeah. so how do I begin to craft an identity as mm-hmm. just me, mm-hmm. you know? Or is it appropriate to see my kids on my feed when that has nothing to do with a handbag? Yeah. So there's a level of, we're selling you a luxury product. Your experience when you come to our social should be that similar. Yeah. And yes, on stories, you can see a, a glimpse into the personal, but maybe I want to show more. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to launch kind of another channel for mm-hmm. that. So if you want to see a little bit more behind the scenes or just me and not models or yeah, my kids, yeah. like that's that arena. That's super cool. And it's like, um, did you talk to anybody like what to do? Or you just go, I'm just going to do this. And you just had your own idea and just started doing it. You know, my brother and I would go head to head when we were still working together on it. He was like, no, don't do it. What if we're promoting yellow and then you're wearing black? That's confusing for the customer. And so once we stopped working together after the acquisition, I was like, I don't care if I'm wearing black and they're talking about yellow. You know, like I'm also a real person. Yeah. And so it's not just only about what the brand is doing. Some people want the glimpse of the real life mm-hmm. and not too too real, right? Mm-hmm. There's a line in which I will never cross. Mm-hmm. But I think that I decided, you know, let me just see what happens here. Yeah. And there's no blue check mark on that one yet. What you just made me realize that I need to reach out to my friend and get the blue, get check, the blue mark. check mark. Yeah. Well, so there's there's a couple of things that I think are really interesting you can dive in uh, a little deeper. And one of them is you are in business with your brother. Being in business with people, period, is one thing. Being in business with your family is probably different. So I want to talk about that. Yeah. And then I definitely want to talk about identity. I, li- I like what you were, you, some of the things that you're saying about seeing yourself as a part from the part of the brand and stuff like that. Some of the things as a person that you've gone through. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about just how you build teams and specific partnerships and then maybe timing. Okay. Okay. So what in the world is it like to do business with a family member, to be in business with a family member, especially one that funded stuff? Yes. I would say that the first couple of years, we both really stayed in our lane and we worked really well in our lanes. And then as he began to learn more about my side and I learned more about his, the sparks would fly. Mm -hmm. Because 
I think that when you're working with someone either you're married to or you're related to, you'll say stuff that you'd never say. Yeah. Like I have a co-founder on the female founder collective side and there's a level of just manners that you just observe with each other. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen when you're related. Okay. Um, and but, I think it can hit more personally when he's like, oh, yeah. maybe you should reorder the show so it's this dress and then this skirt. And I want to be like, get the fuck out of my... Yep, or this I would is my say, thing. I would say like, why didn't you pay this bill? Or why is this late? And that just riles him up. So we did do a lot of couples therapy Aww. to get past those things. And I think what it comes down to and what we learned from it is you each have needs and wants mm-hmm. as a working relationship. And you have to be able to say what those are and decide if you can meet them or not. You know, when I, when, before I had a baby, I was at the office just as much as he was. And then I had a baby and I was like, I'm out at six. And even though he had kids too, that wasn't the reality that he wanted to create for himself. Mm-hmm. So that had resentment, you know, or you just find these moments where you have to like, it's not just getting on the same page once. You yeah. have to get on the same page a lot. And as things change and evolve and grow, you really have to get, like he would, sometimes if I was gone all day, I don't know what he thought I was doing, like seeing double features. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh, I met with this person. I went here and then I did this photo shoot. And I was like, do you want daily updates about what I'm doing? Because I'm literally not shopping or like having lunch. Yeah. But that was something he needed. So I was like, fine, at the end of every week, I'll send you all the great things I send did. You the because it saves you from worrying that we're not equally working as hard on this thing we built together. So I think I encourage founders, what do you need and want? Both sides, share it. And then as things change and grow and evolve, you have to do that. Yeah. And then most importantly, you know, our former president would figure out things that, about each of us that she would sort of stoke a fire unknowingly mm-hmm. between us okay. to make each other question each other. So you just really have to watch out for that third person in the mix. Cause she was our, it was like, we were a triangle, you know, she was very valuable to us and the company's growth. And she would just, it was just these little things, you know, Oh, her maternity leave is really generous, you know? And then that would be like, Rah! right. You're not oh, working. Man. I'm like, uh, I have the wound the size of a football healing in mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, but that would come from her and her needling. So I think it's have a keen eye for those people that are trying to separate, you know, and and take apart a partnership. That is a really astute observation, right? Like the CMO that you had, right? That wanted you to basically not exist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got a president who is weaponizing both of you. Yep. What are some anchors that maybe you agreed to or, I don't know, commitments that you made to one another that would either unpack those things or when they would happen over time and you knew they would happen, what, what were some of the things that you would do to try and reveal those things and be like, hey, did this person ask this? I would or, do that just that. So yeah. I won't say her name. Let's call her Mary. Okay. That's not her name. Got it. I'd be like, Mary just said that you said this. Is that true? You know? I encourage you, not that I'm the prime example, to do it not over text or the phone, like look them in the eye, you know, or I heard that you thought blah, you know, really confronting the person in person Mm -hmm. in a non-confrontational way because you don't know if it's true. Mm -hmm. It could have just been the rumor monger. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's uncomfortable, but you have to do it because then you get the real story and you usually resolve it so much more quickly. Yeah, the context matters because it's like, I did say that and 
if I can have a moment to tell you what was around that, I can tell you that because I think I could see how you would be frustrated or maybe hurt by this one phrase. Let me give you that, right? Yep. I've been in business with a couple of people and it's definitely really, really hard to do with any other individual, much less a family member. Mm-hmm. So like kudos to you to yeah. be able to do that. What What is like, if if you were talking to you, you know, or your brother, 10 years ago, what would you say now with what you know now? What advice would you give them? That you, each of us, are gonna face challenges and unprecedented stress and the person you don't take it out on is your partner. Mm -hmm. And that both are gonna make huge mistakes. Mm -hmm. But you still, A, accept responsibility for your mistakes and you don't target the other person who's in the rowboat you know, yeah. fill in the bucket. Yeah. And I think both of us didn't always do a good job of that. All right. So, one of the things that I think is the hardest parts about doing business is it is a team sport. Yes. And, you know, you're, when you hire somebody, you're inviting them into your thing and it's it was your brand like your name is on the door on the you know what i mean on the tags uh, all that kind of stuff and so what what are some of the things that you learned along the way like give us a hiring miss you know i know you told us the one about the cmo which is good which is good but what are some early hiring misses yeah that you had and what was a what was a hiring like i we nailed it with that and what what were the sort of distinct differences between maybe the methodology or some things you learned along the way I think in the beginning, you don't have a lot of money to pay people if you're bootstrapping and you're almost hiring anyone who's willing to get in there and like just, yeah, I'll do anything. And then as you get more sophisticated, you're like really looking at the resume and the experience and do they have it? And then sometimes you're hiring based on their experience and then they get into the job and they're like, oh, I don't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's, you know, that's not my my job description. Mm And what I found is the people in the beginning that were just excited and like, oh my God, we're building a brand. You mean to go ship? I'll go do that. Like, yeah. is who you actually still want to hire. They mm-hmm. might need to have a little bit more experience, but I would rather have that person than anyone who's like, I just push papers or I'm really great at managing up and my team hates me. Mm-hmm. So I definitely look for that sort of hunger in the eye. And then I spent a lot of time Naively, I think in the early years being like, this is a family, we're going to all be here together. And then people leave. And at first it's devastating. Or you have to fire someone and you're like, oh wait, I thought we were a family. I thought you were in this as much as me. No one's ever going to be in it as much as you unless they own as much as you Mm -hmm. or they get paid what you make or they're a partner. And so you have to sort of Get, let your skin get thick enough to be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go through this phase where I was like the mother figure, like, oh, something wrong, come cry to me. And then I'd go meddle between those two people. And I thought it would make our culture amazing and it didn't. It just made it like a she, a, a finger pointing culture. Oh, wow. And I think the, thing, the advice that I got from another fellow entrepreneur and he's in fashion, he was like, you are paying these people to show up. You're taking money out of your pocket and giving it to them. If they don't make your life easier or help you lay more bricks, no amount of I'm trying while I'm working on it, none of that matters. They either get the job done or they don't. Mm. And they make it better and bigger or they don't. And then they go and they go fast. 
And ever since I listened to him, the people need it too. We can't be this coddle culture of quietly quitting or quietly resigning or I can't work hard. I just read an article that like now some, I forget what company, but you know, they've been asked to come back to work and so many of them suddenly have all these diseases, like people scared of disease and you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, come on. This requires hard work and it requires teams to be together. So I think that a little bit of the tough love approach, like you're not going to get your job done. Okay, well, I got to find someone that will. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try and help you. And, but that's it. It's not this coddling. Be your mom for that. Yeah. Not at work. That's a, it's a huge one to learn. It's like you want people in the foxhole with you, right? And you definitely don't want anybody shooting each other. <laughs> Just let's get get ourselves focused in the right area. Yeah, and then when people do come to me, well, she said this. I'm like, have you tried talking to them about it? Like, I'm happy to step in, but like that doesn't necessarily help. And then yeah. when I stepped in over the summer on something, and it was like, it didn't it didn't end well. Someone was like, oh, you tell her everything. You're a tattletale. Yeah. I was like, what are we two? Yeah. Well, I think there are some people that struggle with which age they're supposed to act at work. You know, <laughs> there are some people that struggle with that. Well, you know, as it relates to the theme that I've seen with you and just in, in in like the Cliff Notes version of your story that we've gotten, you seem to have a knack with showing up on time and on brand or on point. Is it really as easy as it looks for you to show up? And like, like even one of the things you said earlier, like how you knew, you know, this summer the color is going to be red. Where does that come from? Couple things. I want to add one thing about the teams. Sure. I like to treat people as entrepreneurs within their zone. So I don't believe there's a box that they get to live in. I believe that if they have a great idea and they want to expand, that that should be encouraged. And I think the pandemic took me from someone who was, what are they doing all day? Oh, they're on Facebook. Oh, as I walk by, they're working on the resume or they can't work from home. No one can work from home to being like, either you sink or swim. It's really clear now. Yeah. And I think that that's where we saw the culture of our company really become the most solid was you're an entrepreneur in this zone, have great ideas, take risks, you mess up. Okay, you messed up. Mm-hmm. But at least you were thinking about something versus phoning it in. Oh, that's good. I mean, that that's somebody who's bought in for sure, right? If they're gonna apply themselves in that way. Yeah. They're they're bought in. Yeah. All right. So the, the timing, timing thing. I think some of it, especially with uh the design side of things, is uh, the word like this collective unconsciousness where you're just tapping into something because it's it's eerie how so many designers can all pursue the same thing. So this season, denim, a lot of denim bags, a lot of heart-shaped bags, and we're all doing it at the same time. So I think we tap into something that's, you know, whether it's we're all seeing the same fabric at the fabric show or there's a TV show that, you know, you know you're unconsciously pulling in data and sometimes you all hit it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have another explanation, you know, or you're, or you're watching trends in a way that you go, okay, this is happening in this small little subset that is leading culture mm-hmm. and it's gonna hit the mainstream in a year or two. Okay. So if I do what they're doing now, that's way too far out for most people to even think of dressing and looking like, in a year from now, everyone will want to look that way. And so then it gives you time to actually design, manufacture, distribute, all of the, all of those things 
to do it on time. Yeah, like this whole like 90s thing, which just scares me, really. Like yeah, a lot. it's wild. I just can't believe it's back. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I live that. I don't want to do that again, but it's there. And so, you know, you saw it in a TV show last year. You saw the beginnings of it with certain types of performers that were popular, gaining popularity again. You're like, okay, I guess we're we're gonna wear a juicy couture sweatsuit again. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna happen. As far as the other timing, business-wise, technology-wise, I credit my brother with a lot of the technological advancements, but I think again, it's watching, reading, and learning. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe ten years ago, he was like, "It's not just all about fashion. Like, you have to be reading business articles and news articles and tech." And I was really offended. I was like, "But this is my craft. This is what I want to spend my time doing." But I had to broaden my horizon. So, you know, when I went to the airport and said I picked up a Forbes instead of a Vogue, right? And I began my journey on understanding that language. And that's the only reason why we could do Web3 and NFTs. And, you know, our partnership with Roblox coming up is because I'm seeing, okay, that customer's 13, but she's got a lot of mommy's money and she wants to look really cute on Roblox. And so it's like, how do you sort of make those worlds come together? I wanted to ask you that because... I wanted to know, is it a superpower or is it something that is learned? And it's it, learned. And that I would say is, one of my mentors would say to me, he's like, you're not learning if you're not teaching. And so there was this, there's this thing that I've really enjoyed hearing you talk about, hey, I've mentored this person, I've mentored that person. What has maybe evolved in you of what may have felt like a superpower or an instinct or something like that? What As you've been teaching and mentoring, what are some things that you're like, I have recognized I've mastered this thing now. I think that in the beginning, there was this innate sense of if I, it wasn't innate, I think it was a, a, a communications course I took, but it was like, if I can reach a quantity of people, I'll never forget when I first had like three pieces in a consignment store and I made postcards and I went out to Union Square and I passed them out directing people to go to that store. And I was like, this has got to work. And it did. And I was like, all right, I got a ratio. A thousand postcards equals one blouse sold. Wow. Or I would say I sent out a thousand lookbooks, two boutiques called. And I just remember graphing these ratios and figuring out what those were because it allowed me to feel like I was able to be cause over it versus just... I did all this stuff and nothing happened. for it, yeah. So I think that I, when I talk to a lot of these young brands, the common theme is how do I sell my company? How do I raise a lot of money? I'm like, do you even have product market fit? Like here are five low hanging fruits. You can get started an ambassador program free. Get the coolest lady in town to host a Tupperware party for your product. You know, get live in your DMs and find out who your most loyal customers are and send them some swag if they give you 10 emails. Like here's all this free stuff that I did in the beginning because I didn't have any money and no money was going to come. And when you don't have the money coming in or it's, you know it's not coming, you get creative. Mm-hmm. And then start keeping track and see what levers you can pull. Because eventually you'll find a ratio of I did this and this happened. And then it be, can be something you can target for and not just be like throwing things in the dark. So when you're sitting here talking about ratios, you're going from sewing machine and fabric store to Excel, right? Like what did that look like? Uh, every week I would like nerd out and be like, well, tonight, this week I did 10 postcards and 
two orders or whatever it was. <laughs> That's amazing. And then I would run to the garment center. But then I got an intern and I sent her to the garment center to go get the fabric, you know, so that I could be in Union Square passing out postcards or whatever it is. And today it's obviously different, right? We're, you know, another technology, I guess, my brother was early and I was text message. So during the pandemic, we were texting people. And that is now how a lot of commerce is done. And it converts far more people than most other advertising. And so like you're reaching people, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I want to talk a little bit about partnerships because we talked about you kind of connecting the dots, you know, working with your family, having a co-founder, having co-ownership, things like that, having third parties come in. But like, as it relates to some of the partnerships, you talked about Roblox. Talk to us a little bit about how some of these partnerships emerge and some of the things that happen behind the scenes before the partnership formalized. So there are ones that you're doing to build brand awareness. And then there are ones where the synergies of the brands can help each other. And then there are ones where, you know, you're, I think a great example is we did something with Morgan Stanley uh, for our last fashion show, which is a very, why would Morgan Stanley sponsor a fashion show? They did an internal survey of these, you know, the banker bag for men is this gym bag that symbolizes like, I'm going to go do my, what is it, paddle ball? Uh-huh. Is that the right? Pickleball? And no, then, it's the racquetball. Racquetball. I'm going to okay. go do my racquetball in the in the fancy gym, and then I'm going to take my Morgan Stanley bag and go to work. And it became a symbol of this Wall Street sort of okay. dude. But women don't want to carry that. It's really ugly. Yeah. So internally for morale and externally, they wanted to elevate and showcase women and celebrate them. And they thought the bag is a symbol. Let's start with symbols. So they came to me. I designed a bigger version of a bag I had, which would fit a computer. And they initially purchased 300. They also sponsored our show. Uh, so for us, we got to have this gorgeous New York Fashion Week event. We got to have our bags prominently, you know, and then they came back and said, we need a thousand more bags. All the women at the firm want this bag. It's the most coveted item. Finally, they feel seen and, swag. And, and heard, right? Yeah. And they said, oh, you know what, we need everything to be sustainably made. We'd never done that in bags before. So I found leather where they pray over the olive trees, the leaves hit the ground. They don't hurt the olive tree in the making of the dye for the bag. And, you know, the cows are gently slaughtered. You know, like everything <laughs> about it was environmentally friendly and Got sustainable. It. Yeah. And it pushed us as a company. So I think there, there was beneficial. We got great sales. The ROI on that show was bonkers as far as earned media and press. And so they were very happy and their morale within the firm was extraordinary. And so sometimes you find these synergies that you're just like, never would I ever see these two things come together. And then it's my job to make, to string that line along with a real Mary. A real Mary. A real Mary who helps mm -hmm. me do that too. What's the most critical feedback you've ever gotten as a leader? Former said CMO. Uh-huh. Uh, enemy number one. We didn't give this person a name. No, we didn't. Yeah. No. Jeanette. Jeanette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Jeanette's everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a not so common name. She came up with um, her marketing, whatever, you know, this is what the brand is and this is what we're going to say to people. This is what it means. And at that point, every buyer that walked into our showroom, I had to like read it out to them and I had to believe it as if it was mine. And I just, I did such a good job of faking it 
but mm. I hated that I had to do that. And I hated that we had this whole campaign around it. And my brother was like, you're not really feeling it. And he was right, but I was doing a damn good job of pretending, yeah, yeah. you know? And I think- You're like, probably, I have become an actor during was, this process. I yeah. was, and yeah. I had to talk about it in media interviews, Fashion Week activation, and I was like, oh man, I'm cringing inside and he can see that. And maybe no one else could, but he's like, you need to live and breathe and feel it. And I, I couldn't get there. And I was like, I never will. Wow. So did you stop? Did you, did you just continue? I continued until she departed. And then I was like, this, this is going, thing's going away. Painting over that. Yeah. Manifesto. <laughs> it was a manifesto. Oh it was a brand manifesto. Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, I would say that that's probably, um, we're going through one of those right now. And I just, I don't know how much um, torque that I'm putting on the business by trying to, to create it sort of a catalytic phrase of things that really would mean something to us. But I mean, when you originate something new and they're like, man, I this isn't us, you know? Right. So trying to trying to figure those out as a marketing person is it's really, not really easy. hard. It's not easy. Yeah. And you always have like a target on your back, you know, like this person, how much value are they actually adding? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, but what are some of the things like when you get or give criticism, what are some of the things that you do along the way to kind of either prepare the person or prepare yourself? Oh, that's good. I think that someone I had to give critical feedback to recently I was afraid to because they're so valuable to me in the company mm -hmm. that I don't want to offend them or upset them. And they work so hard. And then they started acting a little bit like more demanding and, and I was like, want to give you it all, can't right now. And so I have to temper my feedback with, I, can't, I don't want to offend them or hurt them because they're giving it everything. Yeah. But their expectations are out of line. Oh, yeah. So I had to say it in a way of like, you're incredible at this. Here's the laundry list of things you kill it at, but this is not normal to expect this. And I think it helped that I called another person who has a similar role. And I was like, what are your expectations of your job, your equity, your pay, you know? And I was able to come to the meeting and say, she's way above you and this is where she's at. So for you to expect more, yeah. you know, is not totally normal, as awesome as that is. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of validation with real life examples so that you can, sometimes you have to bring someone back to earth. Yeah, and you gotta do it with empathy. Yeah. Right, because they're people too and they're doing the best they can with the information that they've got. Right. Yeah. And then the ones that are failing, like when we, when we fired um, a girl who was not working out, she was like, I have great relationships here. And I was like, no, you don't. Oh, you know, man. or I was doing a great job and I'm like, fail. Here's where you fail, fail, fail. Not to upset her, but I was like, I want you to see that this is not- There's some evidence. Yeah, and, and you're not gonna succeed in another job if this is what you think success is. Wow. Well, the thing that I, I you know, the name of your book, Fearless, right? How did that come about? Like, why'd you pick that title and what made you bite off an endeavor like that? Oh man, well, I didn't know there was a pandemic coming when I signed the book deal. Uh -huh. But um, I thought again, I wanna try something new. It didn't necessarily fall into my lap, but it was a far easier process to get a book deal than I, for maybe Joe off the street. Yeah. And what came down to it is a consultant we had on the PR side many years ago, it was like the eve of our first fashion show where we were opening it up to the public mm -hmm. and using influencers, which they were, even though they were slightly respected, it was like, oh, you'd never have one in a show, it's for models. And I was like, are we doing the wrong thing? And I was really struggling. And like, I don't know, my brother was like, we're absolutely doing the right thing. 
And this consultant said, let's go back. Every time you tried to follow the pack and be the darling of Vogue or attempt even just to get Anna to even admit you exist, you failed. She still doesn't know you exist. And it's okay. Look at your business. And he pointed through enough examples where we took these really big risks and it was great versus trying to do what everyone else did. Mm -hmm. And when he gave me enough examples, I was kind of like, take the parachute off, let's jump, who cares? You know, so it doesn't work out. We've had failures, right? There was the time where we had a Twitter feed at our show, uh, the hashtag went viral, and then you might have seen some nude images that you were not expecting (laughs) in front of 1,300 people. Like, that's a failure. But we learned from it, right? Yeah. And thank God that wasn't my idea, it was yeah. my brother's. Oh, geez. So I think that now <laughs> when I look at risks, it's exciting. I get adrenaline from taking the risk versus what if this doesn't work? So what if it doesn't work? You know, like- The you, what have I got to lose attitude. Yeah, yeah, so that's why I have the name Fearless. It doesn't mean you're not scared. You don't read the book and then you're like, I'm no longer scared. Yeah. You're still scared, but you're like, fuck it. I'll do it anyway. Right, as long as you're not doing one of those things that like, gets you canceled. Don't approach that in a fearless manner. Yeah, yeah, don't approach getting canceled. Have a healthy respect (laughs) for what could cancel you. Yeah, the comedians are learning that now. (laughs) These four comedians. Or Uh, M&Ms. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I mean, everybody's learning lessons, I guess. And you know, it goes back to generations, right? I mean, there's a different generation doing doing their thing now. Well, let's talk about shoes. Okay. Right, so there's a, a relaunch happening with shoes. We were launching, yeah. So during the pandemic, we took a little break. We sort of pulled back from retail. We just had a small selection available on our e-commerce. Then we had the acquisition. Then there was wonderful supply chain issues. So mm-hmm. you name it, it's happened. And so, yeah, shoes are back. They're back. What would you say has been the most challenging sort of fashion piece to be consistently successful with? I would say that apparel is because a bag and a shoe fits any shape. And you get into apparel and it gets very personal. Mm-hmm. I have a big chest, I have a big stomach, I have a big butt, my thighs, like all the things that a woman yeah. doesn't like about herself or want to show or again, a bag can fit on anyone's arm. Certain clothing cannot. So I think that that's been the most challenging is who are you going after? And yes, you could be inclusive, but you have to have a very, I close my eyes and I go to Rebecca Minkoff for what? Is it the leather jacket? You're not coming to me to buy a t-shirt because you can get that for $2. Yep. So what is that item that she goes, okay, this is who I want to put on. And so I think that's been our most challenging, I guess, if you will. Yeah, as apparel. Well, you just mentioned the girl or the female and some of the things that are struggles, right? And empowering women is a huge part of what you're doing now. So what are some of the things that are some core messages that you hope to have your work on that side of your life to really illuminate to girls and and women, you know, either in business or just in life. No one's handing you a a silver platter and no one's gonna say it's okay. And sometimes you have to be the first and you have to stick your neck out and it's uncomfortable and you have to ask for what you want. Mm. No, you know, I I sometimes make these analogies like no one's gonna sit there to the woman who, I guess, because I had just had a baby, it's on my mind a woman who's lactating in a meeting be like, oh, is it your time to pump? You should go do that. No one's gonna give her that, right? Yeah. She has to be like, hey guys, here are my hours, here's my time. This is what I need, can we make this work? Mm-hmm. 
or a raise or whatever it is, right? Or I, I've stayed late five nights this week, happy to do that, but I got to get to my kid's game. So I think that you have to ask for what you want and mm-hmm. and be the, I know it's cheesy, like be the change you seek. Mm-hmm. A lot of what you talked about is about setting boundaries and expectations, right? And if you have sort of done the first part of what you said is that nobody's going to do it for you and you're going to do the work and then there's things that you need, right? Or there's a boundary you need to draw. You got to ask for it. You got to, you have to draw it yourself. Right. You got to represent yourself or advocate for yourself. Yes. And I would say that you can go too far with it, right? We had an employee who didn't have childcare. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like you have to have childcare for your kid if if I'm paying you to work. Yeah. You know? So sometimes those can, these days get a little bit with remote work, get a little amorphous. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, um, I think one of the other things that I'd like to maybe end on is, you know, you as a as a woman and as an entrepreneur, you've talked a little bit about some of the struggles as it relates to, you know, identity, finding yourself. You know, you had the sort of like, I had the three month sabbatical and, you know, the wondering of whether I have it, uh, you know, still and things like that. How have you sort of landed on, you know, maybe the chapters of who you are? How have you sort of landed on your, you know, sort of the identity piece you know, after some of the struggles that you've probably been through? I think sadly, some of this comes with age that you can become finally okay and confident in something because you've been doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, as you said, I was mentoring these young women just starting out and I can roll off to you in my sleep five marketing ideas that you could do that are free. Or I could tell you what's wrong with your product. And so I, there's a confidence level with, let's just say, product or marketing and PR that I feel good in. Mm-hmm. But I think there's always areas to grow, whether it's being, you know, better at business. Mm-hmm. You know, when, an interesting thing happened before the acquisition. I was involved in all the struggle of the business and the day to day and the profit and the loss. New company comes in, and I'm like, wait, you don't, you don't need me in that meeting? And what? Like, there's so much I'm not a part of. And I was like, I think I'm going soft. Wow. In business, right? I gotta, I gotta find something to keep me in the thick of sales, all those yeah. fun things. Because now I just have to worry about PR, marketing, and design. And I didn't live that life for this long, you yeah. know. So I think it's, it's, it's that. And then you know, other times I still feel like a kid at the candy store. Like I got invited to this. I can't believe they want me. I had a phone call this morning. I was asked by a stone company to design like a stone as art and it's it was going to be me plus two like legitimate interior designers that are famous and those people were taking too long and I came up with I thought an incredible presentation uh-huh. and they're like we're just going to go with you and you're going to be at design week and this dinner and this and I was like can I be in the room as the same people that like their whole careers are about being part of Arc Digest's 100 and here I am with my thing and I was like, I can't believe that they asked me to do this. And I was like, shut up, you deserve this. You have an eye for something, they recognize it and stop that. Wow. And so, so I, I do do that a lot. And this whole imposter syndrome, Yeah. just just pretend, Yeah. you know? Just, if you don't feel that way, just, you know, on the outside, I think you do a lot of that. It'll come, the confidence will come, but don't not take something or not do something because you don't feel you're valuable. Man, that's really powerful. Did the do it anyway with the imposter syndrome, I think that's really great advice. It's like, 
they're, they're in a lot of ways, like your, your circumstances are feedback for you. And it's like, if you're getting invited to these things, there's probably a good reason. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to lean into it. I don't know if I'm the best for this, but I'm going to give it a shot. Right? Yeah. What, have, what have I got to lose? Yeah, I mean, one of the rules in my book is sometimes you're just the last man standing that determines your success or not. It's just everyone else is like, I'm out or I'm taking too long or, you know, I need my whole team to weigh in on this idea. Like, I was like, here's some ideas. Do you like them? Let's do it. Wow. That was really well said. I don't know if we can top that one, just being the, the last person standing. That's pretty awesome. Did you know The Entrepreneur Studio is not only a podcast, but a resource of free online courses, tools, and tips? Our free on-demand suite of lessons is designed by seasoned business owners who have paved the path, learned from mistakes, and gone on to run thriving businesses. If you're ready to level up with easy and effective strategies, see the show notes of this episode or visit estudio.life to get started. I do have some rapid fire questions okay. that I'd like to ask yes. you. All right, what designer inspired you the most? Alexander McQueen. When I was growing up, a Hanukkah present was considered a magazine subscription. And just the artisticness of his designs were always like, wow. And I would never compare my, like he's in another genre, but like just that was just like, wow, you could look at something so beautiful. Yeah. All right, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Uh, gluten. That's a guilty pleasure. Okay. <laughs> you want even more guilt? Like my husband watches Below Deck. That's his guilty pleasure. And I'm like, you've lost so many points that you like that show. That is really funny. But uh, what else? Okay, I guess this is wrong of me to say. Okay. But I don't like gossip. But in the fashion industry, when you get good tea, it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> it's fun. So it's not the norm, but if you'll take it if you can get a really good Oh, yeah. One. Okay. Uh, are you a morning person or a night owl? Uh, I am neither. I am a, I'd like to sleep till nine and go to bed at 10. Look at that. And not watch TV at 9 a.m. Yeah, but that was like, I'm in a different phase kidding. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I think I used to be a night owl. Okay. And I'll get back there. Yeah. Well. All right. One new interest or hobby that you'd like to explore? Pilates. Okay. Good. I mean, I just—I have to say the gluten answer was like really good and they just <laughs> broke out in Pilates. This is great. What entrepreneur inspires you? I think, you know, I saw Sarah Blakely on your wall or Kendra Scott or mm -hmm. Jessica Alba. I think these people that literally came from nothing, like I'm going to start a jewelry line in my little like tweezers, you know, or Sarah cutting off, you know, the top of the pantyhose. I just think that the people that have come against all odds. It's awesome. All right, well, what's next for Rebecca Minkoff? Uh, we have really cool activations happening this summer. Uh, again, creative ways of partnerships that are unlocking KPIs that both brands need, but you might not have thought of as us together. Uh, Fashion Week, September, right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got. What is your next big surprise? I don't know it yet, I've just begun looking. Okay. You know what I say is I have like opportunity tentacles. Like there's a, mm. like there's like these feelers like amoebas out at all times. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm like focused, those are not on, on a new project. But the minute I'm done, you know, whatever, my next thing, they go up. And it's just like, just keeping your eye open for all sorts of things and being open to it and, and how you can make those things work. And some of the best things that have happened have been because of that. Man. 
Well, congratulations in all your success, you know, being a wife and a mother and a fashion icon and author and all the other things that I'm probably not mentioning that you probably are and do as brilliant marketer, PR person, all of those things. It's been incredible to sit and chat with you. And I've got a lot of respect for the work that you've done and the work you continue to do. And I uh, just thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, can I say one more thing? Of which course. you can edit this somewhere else. Is that you have to also redefine what success is for you constantly. You know, in the beginning, success to me was I didn't have to call Chase the back of Chase Bank, which I've memorized that number, to make sure I had enough money in my bank out to like go out. And then success was, oh, we're all splitting the bill, but I didn't eat that much. Okay, I can do that now. You know, and then success was I didn't have to have a roommate. And so I think as your career grows, your ideas of what success is. So success is now I get to bring my baby being watched there. I get to come and do events like this. My team's taking care of stuff so that, you know, I can do this. And it's not, yes, money makes life easier, Mm -hmm. but like don't have your goal be that. Your goal should be whatever you love to do, doing that the best and the reward for that. And just constantly sort of check in and say, what is success to me now? Mm -hmm. It's not checking emails on weekends. You know, just because those are the little rewards that help power you to keep going versus just money in a bank account. Really well said. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and uh, being here with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. If you'd like more information on how we can help you run and grow a better business, see the show notes of this episode or visit our website at estudio.life. Success is no accident and we are here to help you go from surviving to thriving. So join us next time for another conversation with an entrepreneur who's been in your shoes.